When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another Irish Examiner Football Show. I'm Larry Ryan. Later in the show, we'll talk to Nick Callow, who was the Emirates last night. Um, so we'll just catch up with Nick for the uh, traditional declaration of the end of Arsenal's title chase. We usually do it around this time of year. But first, I had a chat yesterday with Alan Shearer. Alan was in Cork um, for the launch of the new Speedflex gym at the health club in the Kingsley Hotel in the city. Um, Speedflex is a hit training, circuit-based um, training concept, which, um, which they say will completely transform your exercise regime. Um, and I must say Shear is a particularly good advert for it because he looks in great nick. I'd say he could still do a job for you. Um, anyway, you put, a, you put a room of journalists through their paces for half an hour and afterwards I caught up on for a quick chat. Well, let's get the inevitable question out of the way. Mm. Managerial stuff, you looked pretty comfortable there in a room of journalists shouting the odds. Um, looked pretty natural to you. You said last year that you'd take Roy Hodgson's job after he left. If you, you made yourself available to him. Well, I didn't necessarily say that. I said I would speak to them. Yeah, I didn't yeah, say so I would take it. I said well, I would speak yeah, to yeah. them and, and give them my opinions. Um, of which I did. I'm delighted they've given it to Gareth, someone young, fresh, energetic, someone who has also played in tournament football, which I think is key. He played in '96, '98, I think, as well in 2000. So he knows what tournament football is all about. He's got a hell of a tough job. So where your own ambitions at this stage? Would you go back? Um, I very much doubt it. Mm. No, I'd be amazed if I went back into it. I love what I'm doing now. I've knuckled down into the uh, into the media world. Um, I realised that I had to get stuck into it a bit more four or five years ago and work at it, which I have done, and um, no, I love it. Yeah, maybe we'll go back to share the player if, if we could. Mm. A few weeks ago, um, Stan Collymore said that if uh, if the likes of yourself and Les Ferdinand and maybe I think he even included himself in that. Uh, were around nowadays that you, you destroy Premier League defences with, with your power and pace. Well, we did then, and yeah. we would now. It's the same as what George Best would, or Dennis Lowe yeah. would, or Sir Bobby Charlton would, or Jackie Milburn would. I, yeah. I believe if you were a great player in your era, you'd be a great player in any era. You'd find a way to do it. Is, but is the, I suppose, is the, is the shearer almost becoming a, an endangered species? You know, the old-fashioned centre-forward who could run, who could head the ball, who could who was strong, who, who could go over the top if needed, who could hold it up. There, um, there's not that many of them about anymore, is there? There's not a lot of them. I mean, Aguero can do all of those things that you've said. Ronaldo can do all of those things that you said. Mm. Um, can dribble, can so can head. Um, so they are out there, but they cost a lot of money. Yeah. But cost, the best do. Costa and Harry Kane would, would, be, would be... Costa, Kane can do a bit of both. Costa... Um, when his mind is right and it has been all this season I think he's been the best player in the Premier League this season particularly after what he went through last season um, but yeah he can, he can do it as well um, but you find a way as a player don't you if you, if you can't go down that way then you go and get an, you find another way and good players find ways Do you think anything has changed since your time? Do, are, 
are young players not as obsessed with, with, with scoring goals? Are they are they being asked to play wide in a three? Are they are they maybe almost be too flexible? Although you did play wide in a three a bit when you started. Um, or at least played. A bit yeah, I played in a three at Southampton when I first started, and then played in a, with a partnership at um, at Blackburn, and then a partnership when I went to Newcastle with Les. So, but there's not many partnerships around nowadays. Either. I mean, you could not not as in pairs, as in two up front. I mean, Leicester played two up front last season, won the league with maybe Okazaki and Vardy or, or yeah. whoever. So, it can be done if you do it right. But there's not a lot changed. The game, the game isn't. It's not rocket science. You got to get the ball and put it in the back of the net. And when you look at it like that, then in the ten ten years I've been retired, not a lot's changed. Pitches might be a bit better, but still, it's still fundamentally the same. Sports scientists are around. They were then. Training grounds were great then. They are now. So, it just keeps on growing and growing and growing. What do you look back on as your own best season? I scored over thirty league goals for three three consecutive seasons, which I'm not sure anyone's done. Um, so probably goal scoring wise, was those three seasons at Blackburn. Yeah. Um, but. My role slightly changed towards my late 20s and early 30s. I had to change my game because of serious injuries that I had, which is why I retired from England um, in 2000, because I knew I couldn't continue to do both because of the injuries that I had, because I was out for nearly three years with right knee, left knee and right ankle. So, And that's how I had to change. I had to change my game. That, sec- that ankle injury in particular, after that when you... You did become more the mm. traditional centre forward, not so much. Yeah, I had to. Couldn't maybe. I? Couldn't I'd lost a half a yard of pace. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but I was aware of that. But I found a way. I still continue to score goals, and mm. not as not as prolific, but still used to bag twenty goals on a regular occasion. So, and I think there's not so, there's not so many players do that nowadays. Uh, you sort of got into the world class debate earlier in the season with Alexis Sanchez at Arsenal. And um, you suggested maybe Aguero was the only truly world-class player in the Premier League. Would you say, by those standards, you, you were a world-class player yourself? I never say. I would never say that. I'd leave it, leave it to other people. Um, I'm proud of my record. I'm proud of how far in front I am. Um, I couldn't have done any better. I wasn't the best as a 16-year-old, mm. but I was the best. I was the hardest worker, yeah. and that's why I got to the top because I was better at working than anyone else, and I was prepared to sacrifice other things. We've our, one of our senior pundits here, John Giles, um, is quite preoccupied with sort of categorising the great players and the mm. world-class players as well. And he, he obviously likes you as a player, but he said it's, it's, one of the things he, he said about you was it's fascinating to imagine what he would have achieved at United alongside Keane, Schmeichel, uh, Schmeichel. But then you could, the but he said he, more, he, but he, he wanted more than anything to be Newcastle number nine. He held mm. on to his dream and he came and it came true for him, and that was more than adequate reward. Yeah, um, well then you, you, you could ask and say, well, if you look at those great players that were, were at United, would they have been as successful and continue to score as many goals if they weren't playing as such a good team? Exactly. Yeah. So, but people often get criticised for lack of love and passion and commitment and loyalty in football, yeah. and it makes me laugh that people say, oh, you should have gone to United. <laughs> well, I went home. I was loyal. <laughs> yeah. So you can't have it both ways. Sure. And I did. I wouldn't change it. I did what I wanted to do. Um, it was I, and I, I live my dream. And those twenty thousand fans that met you in the rain at St mm. James Park that day—that'll always be an iconic. Yeah, absolutely. In, in so, I mean, I, it, that amazed, it was amazing. Really, it shouldn't have amazed me, but it did because they're just football daft in in, in yeah. the northeast.
Um, Rio Ferdinand said, when he was marketing as a player, he could never read you. He never knew if you would, your shoulders had dropped or if you, if you had given up or thrown in the towel. He, mm. just cut, he said he could read 95% of forwards. Were you conscious? Was that natural? Or were you conscious to keep a poker face? No, you could. I don't think you should ever let you know your opponents what you're thinking or what you're feeling. Mm. Um, half the time, I would, might have been knackered, but you could never show that. I don't think. But you got to try and stay one step ahead. But I always give as good as I got. I think. I mean, Rio was one of the one of the best defenders around. Um, but it was always my intention for my opponents to come off a football pitch thinking and knowing that they'd been in the game. Yeah. Um, and they'd kick me and I would kick them but the best thing about it certainly in my day was that you'd shake hands at the end of the game and go and have a pint afterwards and talk about it but you don't suspect many people do that nowadays Moving into the punditry one of the things Rio said uh, about you is that when you were England teammates he said he found you a little bit cold maybe mm. but when he moved to the BBC he said you were one of the most welcoming people there have you found it easier to maybe open up since you finished your yeah, career? Yeah definitely yeah um, without a doubt I always it's difficult because you and probably might still be with England. I don't know, but because you're trying to kick each other every Saturday, yeah. and then two months after that, you're meant to be a teammate and walking and being all nice and friendly. I, I, I at times that was difficult, yeah, mm. and found that hard to sort of switch off. But once you finish playing, then you meet up with all your old enemies, and you don't have to kick them again the following week. Yeah, and then it, yeah, it was it was great, and and I enjoy that type of thing now. Is that you meet so many of the guys coming in again. And it is a lot easier to get on with them having stopped playing, yeah. Is it, do you think that's something England has suffered from over the years, maybe bringing club rivalries into the... No, I don't think so. It's, we can, I don't think we use anything as an excuse. We just haven't been good enough. Yeah. We've, we've been unlucky once or twice. You're 96 on penalties, 90 penalties. But other than that, I think if we're honest, we've probably fallen short. Yeah, yeah. We were a bit unlucky in 98 when Beckham got sent off against Argentina. We can use as many excuses as we want. We haven't won anything, no. and it's no fluke that we haven't won anything since '66. We can't say we're unlucky for all those years. Sure. In the punditry side of things, you took probably took a bit of criticism when you when you went into it first. Mm. Um, what do you think changed that sort of won people over? Did you have to work hard? Did yeah. That, did that upset you at the time? No. As I said earlier, con- constructive criticism never bothers me. Wasn't I think that's what part of it. But I always, I always held back because I thought I was going into management. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And I didn't. You, if you criticise too much, then you go back into management and you look a bit of an idiot. And for f- five years, maybe six years, I, I thought I was going back into football management, uh, and that was always my plan. But four or five years ago, the penny dropped, and I thought, you know what? I don't want to do it. I'm going to stick to punditry, work hard at it, knuckle down, um, take advice, uh, learn, and that's what I've done. So you had the handbrake on, as Arsene Wenger would say, for a little while. Yeah, I there. think so. Yeah, I think. Yeah. But that was that was a conscious decision to do that because I don't, I don't see how you can come out with football within twelve months, two years, telling everyone what to do and what they've done wrong, etc. So you've made a lot of headlines this week now with your criticism of Liverpool and. The- all the teams who feel the weak teams in the cup. Yeah. Um, if you had, a, if you were a big European, let's say a title, title chase game on a Tuesday night, would you want to be rested on a, on a weekend in no. the FA Cup? No way. Wouldn't have made a difference to you, think, as a player. Nope. You run the risk of getting injured at any stage. If Liverpool get beat tonight, they're 13 points behind, and that's their season over with. And they haven't won anything for a long time. Yeah. Certainly not in the FA Cup. So. I'm all for bringing kids through, two or three at a time, 
but when you make nine and ten and eleven changes then if you get beaten then you deserve to get beaten so I've got no sympathy for Liverpool or Newcastle for that matter Yeah. Newcastle fans travelled 250 miles down to Oxford paid a fortune they want to see their team win they don't want to see a reserve team out I know yeah. they want to see promotion as well but that was Saturday they don't play till tomorrow don't tell me that players can't play three games in a week they've got the best of everything and then finally just on the, on the country side are you, are you amused or amazed by the sort of headlines that your 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 punditry makes in a week like this. You know, Gary Neville was critical, I think, of the press a couple of weeks ago in their sort of um, picking up pundits' opinions and making stories out of them and creating sort of sensational stuff. Is is it? No, I mean, with much of the day, I suppose we're used to that because we we generally get watched by five or six million people over a Saturday and a Sunday on much of the day, both on yeah much of the day on Saturday night and much of the day too on a Sunday. So millions and millions of people watch it I'm not saying they watch it to listen to the pundits they watch it obviously they watch their teams but um, I'd just be as constructive as we can and try and tell it how it, uh, how it is It's quite a platform but I was reading Howard Webb's book and he said he made, he made a mistake in some game you know and uh, he's watching match today hoping against hope it wouldn't come up you yeah, know and then when, did. when it's uh, <laughs> Well it's yeah. the same with I mean the, the number of cameras they have at every game now the players can't do anything Referees make a mistake, pundits are onto it, but everyone makes mistakes, I suppose, don't they? But if you keep on and making them and making them, the referee standards this year, I think, has been as poor as any any year. Do you think so? Yeah. Particularly after the the Euros we had last summer, where they were fantastic in France, the referees, I thought, they were allowed to referee, and every tackle wasn't a yellow card. There was no not a lot of back chat. So, would yeah. you be in favour of, of the Premier League going out and trying to bring in those, bring in European referees to referee yes. games? Yes. Well, we've got the, some of the best coaches, mm. we've got some of the best players from all over the world, so why can't we have some of the best referees? Now we have Nick Callow on the line, who did the um, Arsenal-Watford game at the Emirates for us last night. Nick, uh, I'm sure you've seen us many times before, and Arsenal fans have seen it many times before at this stage, those kind of nights which really seem to sum up the, the malaise that Arsenal have got into over the, over what, the, last, half, the last decade. Yes, I mean, when you sort of put it in the context of the sort of last decade, I suppose it's not totally unsurprising, but I think it was a real low point. I mean, people have been covering and watching that club for many, many years, were really sort of shocked, I think, by how bad Arsenal were last night. I mean, especially that first half, that's as worse as I can remember them playing for, well, in, in memory, really. There was no fight, there was no spirit, there was no effort, there was no teamwork, there was no sort of life about them at all, and... Um, to be 2-0 down after 13 minutes against a very average Watford side was nothing short of a disgrace. And uh, yeah, it should have been three, really. And the game should have been out of sight by half-time. They should have, should have been well out of it. And I think, uh, I think Arsene Wenger was as shocked as, as anyone else, really. And he was really down after the match. I mean, I heard he was absolutely furious at half-time, but he was very, very low afterwards. And people were sort of questioning him and the team and their sort of spirit and approach. And... He was sort of baffled. He said, you know, I, I didn't underestimate Watford. I you know, reminded them how good they were. We prepared meticulously for all their sort of threats. I really thought they would be aware that Watford and those sort of pushovers, but the way they went out there, and he was watching them from up in the stands, of course, because he's bound to touch on it. So I could just sense that the players thought that they could just sort of turn up and win. And um, as we know, you know, Arsenal scraped through quite a few games this season by uh, perhaps underestimating opponents and they really really suffered for it last night and the 
the title race, as far as Arsenal are concerned, is well and truly over now. Yeah, he did, as you say, seem quite bewildered afterwards almost, yeah. I mean, he said, did we did we think subconsciously we could just turn up and it would be okay? Um, which is a real indictment of his players, and I suppose it's an indictment of his own ability to to motivate them, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, he's sort of, you know, I've got a... Yeah, I must say, I've got a lot of time and sympathy for Arsenal. You know, he's, you know, mm. the greatest manager Arsenal have ever had... Um, would someone else be doing better? It's hard to say. You know, I think Klopp would have been a good appointment at Arsenal. It's not obvious who should replace him. I, and I really, really don't want to see him go out sort of, you know, with his tail between the legs and the fans booing like they were last night because uh, that should not be Wenger's legacy, you know, the greatest man to Arsenal have, have had. But, you know, you look at players like Mesut Ozil, who's asking for the best part of £300,000 a week. And you know, was he putting in a shift last night? I don't really think so. And players like Aaron Ramsey, I mean, he's not the most, he hasn't got the most ability in the world, but normally he, he, he works hard, if nothing else. And when he plays for Wales, what a fantastic player, but you know, he was, he, he only lasted 20 minutes before he went off injured, but I mean, that was almost like putting a, a wounded animal out of his misery, because he was appalling. He was misplacing the passes, he turned his back for the uh, shot for the first goal, it was his fault for the second goal when he switched off at the throw in and conceded uh, possession, then he didn't chase back. Perhaps he was feeling his injury then. But as you say, there's sort of malaise running through the team, which we saw particularly last season when um, when they just didn't seem to be turning up for games. And I tell you, it was really, really wet at the uh, Arsenal Stadium last night. And those people were paying a minimum of sort of 40, 50 pounds a ticket were getting sucked for the um, so-called privilege of watching a team go through the paces. And uh, yeah, I mean... You do sense there's an air of, there's an air of change there, but I think um, I would be surprised if um, Arsenal leaves. Um, I think there's a will at the club to, to keep him on, but um, if it goes as bad as it was last month or worse, and yeah. the Munich by Munich Champions League fixture turns out to be a really one-sided thing, and they don't do very well or even win the FA Cup, then uh, who knows what will happen really. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as you said, they, they have they have problems in midfield with the injuries, and I think Ramsey and Coquelin at this stage is probably nobody's idea of a, of a title-winning midfield. But the Giroud thing as well, I, I I mean, at times this season, Arsenal have looked like a very good side, and and it's usually like when they have a, when they have a guy up front who can run, you know. Um, yes. And I think I mean they got away with it against Burnley, and and Burnley pushed up the pitch on Arsenal because they could because Giroud was up front. And Watford, yeah, yeah. Watford, by all accounts, did the same thing again last night. They pushed up on Arsenal and pressurised them because they've got a guy up the other end who can't, who can't threaten them in behind. Um, why have Why have Arsenal switched back to this this Giroud way of playing when when they yeah, seem to have well, settled on something? You know, I think he sort of almost sort of you know he, he came into the team. Oh, I can't, you know, I can't exactly remember when he first got his first start of the season, but he was doing very well coming off the bench scoring important goals important late goals mm. and I think in the end Arsene just thought I've got to give him a I've got to give him a, give him a game and, he, and he, he was just scoring and scoring and scoring and it was impossible to sort of leave him out but there was a sort of a talk around the press box and Arsene I think when we saw that lineup, you know following on from the weekend game in the FA Cup when they were full of sort of pace and, and invention yeah. and, the, and the guy sitting next to me in the press box said this Arsenal team looks very very slow you know how are they going to um, just look slow the midfield looks slow ponderous and with, and with Giroud as you said the figurehead up front um, and we haven't seen much or probably not enough of Lucas Perez yet and uh, 
maybe he deserves a chance. I mean, the game was crying out for Danny Welbeck or even sort of Theo Walcott's inclusion. But uh, you know, as Wenger pointed out before the match, um, Walcott just played his first game of the year at the weekend. Um, he didn't feel he had another 90 minutes in him, especially with Chelsea at the weekend. And Welbeck hasn't started a Premier League game all season, so he's very, very wary of uh, him getting injured again because he looks like he's... I think he might give, give Welbeck a run in the team now. I really do. Yeah, sure. He could, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. I think he should, anyway. It's similar to what happened last season when he came back, started well, got a run in the team, only to get injured. So, uh, yeah, how many games Olivier Giroud starts between now and the end of the season? It'd be interesting. I presume it turned pretty ugly last night. Um, Arsene probably was thankful for the sideline man in the end that he uh, he was hidden away a little bit in the in the stands. Um, were the were the punters? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I mean the boo. I mean it was. I mean it was booing. It wasn't just sort of like disgruntled sort of groans and sort of moans. It was full on booing at half time and uh, at the end. And you know, Steve Bold was left to sort of stand up there on, on the touchline and sort of lead the charge and the shouting and the pouring rain and you get Walter Mazzari the, the Watford manager uh, jumping around as if he'd won the uh, yeah. cup final which incidentally Arsene said that every game is a cup final for Arsenal now since the new year and um, yeah. if that's how Arsenal playing cup finals then don't really don't think they've got a chance of winning anything this season but I think yeah uh, what influence can Arsene have from, from the touchline you know, he, he says that he sees the game better from upstairs he can make more better sort of tacticals of decisions relaying them down to the bench but he misses that closest to the team and uh, how much he can add as an extra man on the side of the pitch I don't know I've always thought that's been a slightly overrated sort of thing but we see Conte at Chelsea he's almost like an extra player from them now and it's dread to think what's going to happen to Arsenal at the weekend uh, at Stamford Bridge but um, there's always a chance there's always a chance that with so many good players that they could turn up and do something but they were very, very, very flat at the end of the match last night, and uh, I'd be surprised if if they get a draw or win at Stamford Bridge. Well, it's usually, I mean, I suppose we we seem to have been at this point many times where it kind of almost looks like the end for um, for Wenger, but the players invariably produce some kind of response that uh, starts the cycle again, you know. Um, so you wouldn't almost wouldn't put it past them to to get a decent result at um, Stamford Bridge and. No, um, I mean, if you think, you know, it was, you know, when, when Chelsea came to Arsenal early in the season, it was 3-0 but by, by half-time, wasn't it? I can't remember, and that was, you know, that game was credited with being the the turning point in Chelsea's season. I remember covering that game uh, for the paper and yeah. coming in afterwards, and he was as baffled and as angry as sort of Arsene was last night, and uh, I remember him saying, we have a good team on, on paper, but... There's no point being a good team on paper. You've got to be a good team on the pitch. And he was absolutely furious. He was three 0 that game. And if you remember, that was when he changed his defence yeah. to a, uh, a three-man back line. And since then, they've never looked back. Sure. Um, you know, I think uh, you, know, you look at the, the fixtures coming up for Arsenal. You know, after Chelsea, uh, they got you know, apart from the Bayern Munich, they got what you. I think is a fairly good run, apart from sort of Liverpool away, that would be quite tricky. But they've got some fairly comfortable home games, and can they kick on, you know, to get top four again? I mean, Arsene was saying in Monday's pre-match press conference that he's not happy. He don't, you know, top four doesn't really interest him. I mean, it does, sorry, I, I correct myself, it does interest him. 
in that he, you know, he, as he likes to point out, no other club has qualified for the last 20 years like he's managed to do with Arsenal. And I think it's fair to say, with sort of six strong teams challenging for the top four this season, it will be a harder harder to put it off this year but he said you know it doesn't satisfy me to finish the top four the only thing that would satisfy me would be to win the title so um, so that's not going to happen no uh, if, he's, if he's not satisfied will he walk well I remember having a chat with Liam Brady I know that stuff in the paper about this time um, sort of last season when things were, were, were beginning to go wrong and he said to me Nick if you were um, if your bosses were happy with you and you were um you know, achieving relative success, challenging for cups, finishing the top four, making money, and, and you were earning six, seven million pounds a year. Would you resign your job? <laughs> Would you refuse a new contract? And uh, you know, when Liam put that to me, I thought, mm, well, the answer is no. I'm going to walk away. And no, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know. If he really feels he can't get more out of this team, then then maybe he will. I think the likes of Ivan Gazidis and the people who employ him would much rather keep Arsene going for as long as they, as long as they can because uh, it sort of guarantees them almost. He's such a consistently successful manager in terms of, if you know, if you know what I mean, in terms of consistently successful. Yeah. He, does, he, he can't see them suddenly slipping into uh, sort of Man United sort of free fall um, semi, you know, Chelsea like the other season relegation battle. You know, no, and winning the title doesn't mean... totally well for Arsene, but is it going to get any better? You know, I think Stan Kroenke has this track record of all his sort of various sort of sporting franchises across America of just sort of trundling along middle of the road teams there's some sort of amazing stat how they sort of never really win anything never really do badly and uh, yeah does feel that Arsenal sort of drifting that that way and uh, you know if Sanchez goes this summer which is I wouldn't say more like not but it's more than possible I mean if he he certainly put a shift in last night and what a player I mean really he was running his socks off he had a poor game but that's just because his standards are so high and you know, he gets so frustrated in those matches that he feels he has to sort of do everything and he's back in the defence trying to win the ball and then going all over the place with it when he actually needs probably to stick to his own position and, and what he does best but I'm losing the plot here a bit myself here Larry yeah. <laughs> what it's all unravelled. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, as, as you say, as you mentioned, I suppose that winning the title isn't going to make a great deal of difference to the to the bottom line or the balance sheet at Arsenal. So the you know what's the urgency really? I suppose, but um, yeah. but I suppose before we just we leave it on a on the day before you know Graham Taylor's funeral last night. Uh, it was an emotional night for Watford as well. They played very well and deserved the win by by all accounts. Yeah, I mean, they really did, and uh, it was a fitting tribute. To, to tailor that performance and yeah. the manager and the captain dedicated it to to them and the Watford fans who were sort of there for something as is often the case at Arsenal it's the away fans who sort of make, make the atmosphere there because um, although the Arsenal fans got behind the team in the second half the Watford was out singing Arsenal from before the kickoff and their most popular chant was there's only one Graham Taylor and they were singing his name from sort of start to finish and at the end, it was like they'd won the cup final. All the players were there in front of the, of the supporters and, and chanting his name. And, uh, yeah, it's a sort of sad, sad loss to the game, Graham Taylor. I mean, he was a great friend of the, the media. His dad was a journalist. And um, although he got all that stick when he was England manager, the turn and, and all that sort of stuff, and he was not a very good England manager, 
he was a very good manager. That makes sense. He was brilliant at Watford and, and Villa and, and and elsewhere, and a great student of the game, and a really friendly, sort of decent human being. And Watford having their training ground literally next door, you could sort of see over the hedge into Arsenal's training ground. There's quite a strong bond between uh, Graham Taylor and, and Arsene Wenger, and Arsene was sort of speaking about him before and after the game too. So. Yeah, if one thing, it should be in a slightly positive sort of way, it was, um, it was good to see um, sort of Graham Taylor sort of giving a good send-off and uh, you know, at least Watford fans would have something to sort of smile about in his family as they sort of yeah. prepare and get over his death and his, and his funeral, as you, as you say. But um, as for Arsenal, we've been here before, haven't we? And, uh, and we'll probably be here again, Nick. <laughs> the hope that kills you, but it, you know, they seem to be... Yeah, give me the impression that they might have a little bit of a stronger team and a bit of a stronger belly with all these sort of late comebacks. And you thought last night, are they going to come back again and maybe get as well, maybe get a win? And the draw would not be good enough. But no, I think uh, well, the title is certainly over. Now it's back to the cups, and um, yeah, only time will tell what will happen with our end. But um, I just hope it doesn't end on a real sour note and the supporters. Showing the respect that he deserves, and uh, you know, if they're going to blame anyone, maybe just get, get on the back of some of these players who want to have three hundred thousand pounds a week to pay them. That one of the reasons their ticket prices are so high. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 